Welcome back, everybody. This is season two of Not So Starving Artists. We have the amazing Karan Lin here today. Little clap. Uh. <laughs> um, first of all, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for being part of this show. Um, yeah. For those of you who may not know, uh, Karan is a commercial choreographer and a teacher specializing in jazz funk. He's taught all over the world and has been in several music videos as well as live performances with Rihanna, Adam Lambert, and Britney Spears, which is amazing. I mean, like, we're so grateful to have you on and like have you speak about your experiences. Yeah, 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 of course. Anytime, anytime. So you requested Jamaican food and had a little bit of like an issue, but like, obviously we can't get the same food from the same place because you're in LA right now, right? Yes, I am, yeah. So how about you tell us where you got your food from? Um, I got my food from this place. Um, it's, I guess it's kind of a popular place. It's a Caribbean restaurant called We Jammin, uh, W-I and then J-A-M-M-I-N in Los Angeles. Uh, it's pretty good. I've ordered food from there before, um, <clears throat> but, what we're gonna eat together, I've never actually ordered before, so we're gonna be trying it together. New, I've had it, but not from this restaurant. If that makes okay, sense. amazing. So, you do you want to show us what you ordered? Sure. Yeah, 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 one second. I have to open the bag. So, I don't know if you can see. I, I'll, I'll put the screen down. Yeah, maybe you can Ooh. see. Yeah, um, it is oxtails, cabbage rice and peas and plantains that sounds good yeah it, yeah some of the, i mean the place is really good so i was like let me try it from this place um some of the like they have like sauce in it and i guess it kind of spilled out in the bag so i couldn't pick it up all the way <laughs> that's all good yeah. it's all good and right. so um you said what what was the place called again it's called we jammin we jammin so this is like a local place like is it family owned <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I do know that it is uh, black owned, like black businesses, you know? Um, yes. I don't know if it's like a family thing or something like that, but it is a small business. I do know that. Yeah. That's awesome. It's not um, like a ch thing. Like that, yeah, you know? we love supporting small business here. Uh, ain't nobody going to McDonald's for these shows. Uh, right. So I <laughs> actually got my food from a small place in Burlington, which is about like 45 minutes away from Toronto. Uh, they were out of oxtail. Uh, okay. You know, Jamaican places, once they're out, they're out. They're like, we're not making more for you. Right, uh, so right. I got rice and peas. Um, I'll, I'll put the screen oh, down you. a little too. Cabbage and jerk chicken. Yeah, that's usually what I get is jerk chicken usually. It's, uh, I would recommend anybody who is in the greater Toronto area, 100%. This place is called D Hot Shop, like the letter D, hot. S-H-O-P-P-E. 100% okay. recommend. It's also Black owned. And we oh, are filming this in February, which is Black History Month. So perfect. Look at that. <laughs> A little pat on the back. So how about right. we have our lo first little spoonful do like a little cheers to the camera. Piece of chicken. All right. Cheers. cheers. Oh, it's good. This is so good. 
So for you, is it something like you eat normally or is it more like a treat once in a while? Um, I mean, it's definitely not something I eat on an everyday basis. From what I know about myself, I don't have any Jamaican roots. I just uh, <laughs> love Jamaican food. And I grew up in New York and there's a lot of Jamaican people. And um, my mom was always playing like reggae dance hall music in the house and stuff like that. So I kind of grew up, I would say around the culture. And my barber, when I was a kid, he used to be Jamaican and I could never understood what he was saying. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've always been around it. Um, I wouldn't say it's something I eat on a regular basis, but um, it is something that I do enjoy eating and I do eat a lot. Um, maybe not as much as like chicken or fish or something, you know what I mean? But it is something that I do eat pretty often. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I do. I do it too. I'm always, I've always been drawn to um, Jamaican food because of the like, the kind of like similarities it has to Indian food. Yeah. With the spices. Um, yeah. The spices, the curry, like I'm mm -hmm. Indian. So I'm like, yes, this is, I understand this. <laughs> right, right, right. I feel it. Yeah. Um, so let's start out with your beginning. How did you even get into dance in the first place? Um, so it sounds like, I guess, stereotypical to say, but like, I knew what I wanted to do always as a kid. Like, it's like, you know, videos of me dancing around and stuff when I was younger. Um, and obviously, especially when you're young, you, you, wanted, you want attention from people. I mean, even when you get older, but especially when you're young. And so when you realize that you're really good at something and people are telling you, oh man, you're so good and you're getting all this attention from it. At first it started like, hey, watch me type thing. And then I realized that, okay, I'm really good at this. People keep telling me I should, you know, take classes and, you know, take it seriously. And then, you know, one step after another, I just realized by the time I was like, I want to say like 14, I knew it was what I wanted to do for real, you know? Yeah. That's um, pretty early. 14 is like, I mean, I guess not today, but like. Not today, then. but back then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Back then for sure. But I was that little kid like on Instagram now that everybody's like, oh, so good. That was like, you know, me always around like the older people. All my friends are always older. I was around adults and stuff. So I was that young kid who they would always be like, sit down, you know? <laughs> So uh, when you were 14, you were like, I got this. I'm going to yeah. go for it. How did you transition into being a performer? Right. So um, when I was 16, um, I'm from the East Coast. When I was 16, this uh, choreographer, a teacher, his name's Manway. He teaches at Broadway Dance Center in New York. And um, he came to my high school to do like a special class for the advanced dancers in school. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't, I was only supposed to be for juniors and seniors. I wasn't a junior or a senior yet, but my teacher let me come anyway because I was advanced. And he told me I should go to Broadway Dance Center. And that's where I met Luam, where I started assisting her. And, but before I started assisting her, she told me I was really full out and I needed to calm down. <laughs> and so I think that um, when I first started dancing, everything was just like, arr, arr, I'm gonna do stuff so full out. And then she's the one who kind of taught me that it's actually better. It reads better to the viewer if you pull back some of that energy and just try to put forth the story you're trying to tell instead of just doing everything. 122%, you know? So I would say around the time when I was like 17 or 18 when I started Sister Luam was when I really started to learn the difference of just dancing really full out and dancing really good and having that performance quality, I would say. You know, but it, it's different for everybody that's not like a 
a list of things I can give you to do and you go home and practice and it happens for you, you know? It's more so understanding yourself as a person and what you want to portray and how you want others to see you. And then that will all go coincide with how you want to be as a performer, I'll say, you know? So what drew you to um, teaching? Because like performance is one thing, right? But like you're obviously your faculty at Millennium Dance Complex and you were or still are faculty at Broadway Dance Center? Yeah, so I am, like when I come in, I was, when I come in, um, like if I'm in town or something, they'll hit me up to teach like a guest spot or something. But I actually started teaching at Broadway Dance Center. Um, it was because of Luam. She would always be gone a lot. And she would be like, okay, this is my assistant. He's gonna teach my class for me. And then I started getting popular. People like Cheryl Murakami and Rhapsody and Jermaine Brown, they would be gone and you know I would be on the list of people they would call to teach. And so I started growing in terms of people wanting to come take my style, I'll say. Um, but when I was 16, I went to like a competition dance studio in New Jersey. And um, they, instead of having me pay because my mom wasn't gonna pay, she's like, I got two kids and I have stuff to do. So if you wanna go take this dance class, figure it out. They told me that I could teach the younger kids in exchange for tuition. And so that kind of started my teaching bug, I'll say. Um, but I've always wanted to teach people. I used to learn choreography off TV and like teach it to my little sister, who's not a dancer, by the way, and then get upset at her when she did it wrong. So I guess I've always liked the concept of having this idea and creating something from nothing. And it literally goes from nothing to something, you know what I mean? And that in-between space has always kind of excited me and was able to, you know, keep my attention for a long period of time, you know, which not a lot of things are <laughs> able to do that for me. Um, so yeah, and then I kind of realized that I was good at it. I guess you don't really know, you just kind of do what you feel. You don't really know until people start reacting to it, you know? So I was like, oh, okay, I guess I'll keep doing it, you know? And then it turned into a thing. I didn't even know traveling overseas and teaching was a thing, mm -hmm. you know? And so I started doing it a lot. I knew Luan would always be gone and I knew she would be doing this and doing that, but. I didn't know somebody like me could do the same thing. And then I got asked to go to Poland for the first time, which is wasn't the best place to go for a black person. But uh, I got asked to go there for a month. And I was like, holy crap, people are literally coming here to take my class just from my name or just from what they've seen online or something like that. And it literally went from that to where it is now, which is a completely different shift, you know? Mm -hmm. So when did you um, move to LA and like get involved in the whole scene there? I moved to California when I was 20 years old. So I've been here for 12 and a half years now. Um, I came with Luam actually. She asked me in New York a couple of months in advance. She was like, I'm going to LA. Uh, if you want to come assist me, I'm letting you know now. So it gives you time to you know figure out what you're going to do. Obviously I traveled with her before, but only in the East Coast area. It was the first time going across the country. So she had to give me some time in advance to put things together. And uh, I, after thinking about it all that time, I told her, I was like, I'm just gonna stay. Never been to California, never visited, knew nothing about it. I just knew that that's where the work was at. And I knew a lot of my fr older friends uh, left New York to go there. So I was like, forget this, I'm about to head there and I'm just gonna stay there. She was like, are you sure? I was like, I'm out of here. Yeah, so I just decided to stay and then I, we came in the summertime, I wanna say it's like July or August. Um, it was for the Pulse and Monsters of Hip Hop. And then they wound up giving me a class in October at Millennium. So I was here for like three months and they offered me a class, which is cool. 
timing is everything though because it happened to be a space empty you know so but yeah 20 years ago when i moved to california is that one of those things where you think about it you're like damn i've been here for 12 years absolutely every every new year every new summer i'm like man it's been another year and then you realize how long it's been because the time goes by so fast and you're like man what was i doing it's like oh i was doing a whole bunch of things <laughs> Yeah. So switching gears a little bit, mm -hmm. let's talk about jazz funk, like as a style, because that's what you specialize in. Correct. How would you describe what makes jazz funk, jazz funk, as opposed to like funk styles, like locking or popping and then jazz as a art form? Okay. So this, I feel like it's like a huge debate. A lot of times I have a different outlook or look on what jazz funk is a lot of people see jazz funk and they automatically just assume that it's going to be very flamboyant or um you know we're always going to be dancing to britney spears or lady gaga or christina aguilera or like stuff like that and i don't think that that necessarily has to be jazz funk per se um my style i think what makes it jazz funk is that you're incorporating i guess more of like a technique based and what makes it the funk part is that you're dancing to music that you wouldn't normally dance to in a jazz combo. You know what I mean? So I think that's where they get the word jazz funk from. But I'm actually a trained dancer in jazz for numerous years. And so I like to incorporate kind of different movements, I guess, and not just do what quote unquote jazz funk should be. So sometimes I'd say my combos would lean more towards a street jazz, which is closer to hip hop. And then sometimes my combos are very jazz funk, which I guess some people would say is flamboyant, but I think movement is movement. And it just depends on how you um, execute it. I can give you anything and I can give somebody else the exact same thing. You're gonna look differently. So just because I'm doing it in a flamboyant way doesn't necessarily mean I have to do it like that. Like if you watch in the late eighties, <clears throat> early nineties, like Paul Abdul and Janet Jackson, all the male dancers they had, it was very much jazz funk, but they still were manly, you know? Nowadays, a lot of people think when they do jazz funk that it's very flamboyant, but that's just people being in their heads. So I like to kind of mess around with that stigma of what jazz funk is and kind of let people know that everybody can do it, not just feminine dancers or just girls or whatever you want to call it. I, I want to make it more of a well-rounded thing, you know? Yeah, I love that you hit on that because I've taken one of your classes before online. Uh -huh. Okay, nice. Yeah, you made the same you made the same point there where it's like I can give you a combo and it might mm -hmm. look like this when I'm doing it, but then when you guys do it, you can hit it completely different head. energy, but the same moves. Yeah. A lot of people think that when they do it, if they don't do exactly what the teacher's doing, that it's wrong, but I don't want to see nobody look like an exact replica of me. I've been looking at the mirror all day, you know. I want to see something a little bit differently, you know. But I also there's a fine line of making it your own and changing the choreography, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. As long as you're not changing the steps, then be free to be your own artist, you know? So jazz funk is a very commercial style. Like you were talking about Janet Jackson and like backup dancers. What do mm -hmm. you love about being a commercial dancer? So for me, that was the main thing that made me want to be a dancer. Seeing these people on TV, be like, oh man, I do that. People would give me attention. That could be me, you know? And watching you know, the MTV Video Music Awards and watching the Grammys and watching all these award shows that I've actually done myself now. 
So it's crazy to look back on it and be like, man, I remember watching this award show and like recording it and learning the choreography, not knowing that it was mirrored and I need to reverse it, like just wrong, you know? And now I'm actually performing on these same award shows. Even though the music style is different, it doesn't have the same feeling I had when we were growing up. I hopefully like music changes or when I become more of a choreographer for artists, I can bring back that feeling that we had back in the day watching award shows and stuff like that. But nowadays, a lot of people don't want to put that much energy into it. They just want to get the performance over with, you know? So for me, the best part of being a commercial dancer is being able to, I, I guess, in a simplest form, be on TV, <laughs> doing what you love to do. You know what I mean? I always thought that was super cool. Like, man, who are these people? I paid attention to the dancers more than I paid attention to the artists a lot of times, you know? So I think that's the best part of being a commercial dancer, I'd say. I mean, I love that, like straight to the point and simple. Yeah. Like you said yeah. before, you know, everyone wants attention. So what better way? Hey, and if you're good and you're good, I'm like, well, man, these people are awesome. And it's just cool to kind of sit back and think like, man, I remember when I was younger watching this performance on TV and now people are watching me the same way, hopefully, you know? So we'll see as time goes on. But yeah, that, that was the main reason as to why I started dancing. So you were talking about the way commercial dance has changed and like your transition to a more um, choreographer like role. Do you feel like that's where your career is going right now? You're kind of moving away from the performance and moving more towards creation? That's definitely what I'm focused on right now. Um, I feel like I have done a lot as a performer and as a dancer and even as a teacher, I feel like I've traveled all over the world and done a lot of stuff. I feel like, what's next? What else can I try to tackle? And yeah, I've choreographed for artists and stuff and done a couple jobs here and there. But I want that to be more consistent, like how my dancing was, you know what I mean? And try to necessarily create the trends instead of following the trends, if that makes sense. That's what my goal is at right now, honestly. And a lot of times you have to kind of be hush-hush about what you're doing because people like to like be in your business for the wrong reasons, you know? So... My mom always told me that like, you don't have to necessarily post everything that you're doing or post everything that you're trying to do because sometimes people say they want you to win, but they truly don't want you to win. So I like to just stay by myself and like focus on what I want to achieve. And when it happens, the people who are supposed to know will know. That's what I always say. That's actually a really interesting point that you just made. Um, and that kind of like a little bit of a tangent, but how do you feel about the culture that exists right now. Um, because I've heard, I've heard a few things, you know, like in LA, they want you to have certain certain number of followers, you know, before they book you for a job or things like that. So how do you feel about that kind of change in culture where you almost have to, if you want a job, you almost have to be like posting everything that you're doing. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I hate it. Um, but yeah, it's like. Instagram and social media is pretty much like the new resume. Like I remember when I was coming up and being a teenager and teaching assistant Luam, there was no like people are bringing lights and wearing leather jackets and there's fog in the background just for a class video, you know? I feel like now it's like upgraded so much. Like if you recorded it on a digital camera on your flip phone, you was killing the game. It was really grainy but at least you have footage, you know? Now it's like, everything is like super high quality, super high definition. People have lights and stuff that they're bringing just for class. And also it kind of takes away from the training aspect a little bit, but it also prepares you for what you're trying to do later on. So 
you know, you got to take the wins with the losses. But the whole trying to figure out, like, if I go to an audition, it hasn't happened to me, but I've heard it happen to other people, go to audition, and instead of asking for their resume, they're asking for the Instagram handle. Or you fill out a form with your name, your agent, phone number, email, Instagram handle. Like, it's like they're just adding on more and more things to try to figure out exactly what you are or how you can represent their brand. And it's just something else that kind of just makes the situation more stressful. It's already hard enough to try to be a professional dancer, let alone trying to prove a point about how many people actually want to follow me or see me. Because a lot of times that doesn't have to do with your talent. It just has to do with what you're selling, you know? So that's the annoying part to me. Yeah, not everybody can be Sean Liu or Casey Rice or Bailey Sock, right? With like the crazy amount of influence. Um, I'm sure there are dancers in LA who are just like, I really just love to dance. Right, right, right. So going back, that was like a little tangent, but going back to jazz funk as a style, if there were, if there was a complete beginner, never heard of the style Mm -hmm. in their life, and you had to give them a few names of people to look for or people to learn from, who would you tell Mm -hmm. them to look up to? Ooh, there's so many. Do you want to give me like a certain amount you want me to give or just go? Give me like your top five. Of all time. Okay, so um, for jazz funk style, I would say definitely Brian Friedman, definitely Jonte Moaning. Um, he's probably not obviously as popular as Brian Friedman, but Brian knows who he is. Like he's danced with Janet Jackson, choreographed the Beyonce Experience Tour. Amazing, you should know who he is. Jonte Moaning, um, Ramon Baines, him and Jonte are choreography partners. Um, Brian, Ramon, Jonte, who else do I think is really, really good at jazz one that I would say they should study? Uh, Rhapsody James, even though she's street jazz, um, she just has a, a vibe that you can incorporate into any style. She teaches you how to perform and how to execute, and not a lot of teachers do that, you know? Um, and then I would say Candace Brown, probably. Those are probably the top five for me that I would say that people should look at and can get little pieces of things here and there, you know, like Brian's full outness, Jonte and Ramon's like vibe and swag that they have, you know what I mean? Rhapsody's texture and how to perform. And then Candace's like fluidity and like movements and how to like really open up your body. And if you can incorporate all those things together, I think it'll make you the perfect packaged jazz funk dancer, I'd say. Amazing. So for anybody watching this uh, right now, take notes. You're not gonna get (laughs) better information. All right, so let's switch up to our last segment of this interview. We're gonna play a little game. Okay. And it's like a celebrity matchup, but a faculty matchup for Millennium Dance Complex. I'm gonna give you two names of your fellow faculty members and a completely random scenario. Okay. And you have to tell me who you think would win and why. Okay. You good? Yeah, I got it. All right, let's get started. So, okay. if Alexander Chung and Matt mm-hmm. Stefanina had to choreograph while jumping on a trampoline, who would do better <laughs> and why? Who would do better and why? Um, okay. Um, I would say, this is just from what I know about both of them, I'd say Alexander Alexander Chung would probably do better and win just because 
I know he's super serious about like working out and his health and stuff like that and trying to get bigger and stuff. So I would just say he's probably had some trampoline experience. That's why I would give him the edge over Matt Stefanina, you know? I don't know much about Matt. I just know he choreographs a lot, but I would probably give the edge to Alex for that specific reason. All right, so uh, you heard it first here. If you ever need to take a trampoline class, Get try and book Alex Chung. <laughs> All right, scenario two. Uh, if Nika, okay. oh, I actually don't know how to pronounce her last name. Um, Kiljen? Is it Kiljen? Um, Nika, right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 you're right. I, okay. think, I don't know how to pronounce her last name either, but you probably said it better than me. <laughs> okay, cross fingers. If Nika Kiljen and Trisha Miranda had to teach a class while ice skating, who would do a better job? Ice skating. Ooh, that's hard. Um, okay. I got an answer, and it's actually a really good reason why. I would say Nika, and only because I was leaning more towards Trisha, but only because Nika is from Slovenia, and Slovenia just sounds like it's freaking cold there. So I'm sure they know how to ice skate, you know what I mean? So advantage Nika, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god I love that it's like when you like hear like someone's from Russia or something and I'm like I'm sure you know gymnastics right. or figure skating or something like exactly. right so the edge goes to Nika there for sure yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right last matchup and yeah. I think you'll I think you'll like this one okay if you and Brian Friedman had to uh, perform live while uh, juggling with fire oh who do you think would do a better job? Oh, I answer this super quick because I'm awful with fire. So I know that it's probably Brian. And I've never seen Brian work with fire, but the fact that he's like 40 something year old and still doing front tucks in classes with 16 year old kids just goes to show me that he's super, um, like anything he puts his mind to, he's going to figure it out and make it really, really hard and make it that much harder. So if somebody came up and says, like, just see juggle with fire, he's going to dance with it. So I feel like he would give you the advantage. So <laughs> it's Brian Freeman, even though I wish it could be me, but I'm not going <laughs> to. Is there, is there like a crazy scenario that you can imagine where you would have the upper hand? Um, you know, I would probably say if it had something to do with like being up really high, because a lot of my friends are afraid of heights, but I don't mind like, being on roller coasters and being up really high. So anything like that, but anything where it comes to like having to have the talent and dance at the same time, I'm like, I'm probably not gonna do too good. <laughs> <laughs> People be like, do you do anything else? I'm like, um, I'm really good at dance. <laughs> I mean, that, that works, right? They say jack of all trades, and ah, yes, master I of none. So you're the opposite. You're like a master at what you do. Exactly, exactly. Right, 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 right. All right, so that brings us to the end of our interview today. All right, cool, cool. Real quick, real short and sweet. Uh, yeah, let's have like that. a last little, last little bite of our food. All right, cool. Let's do it. Oh. Oh. Mm. So thank you so much uh, again for coming on. This was amazing and we're really really grateful that you agreed to came on the show the fantastic karan lynn again thank you so much and yes. we'll see you later